right. Welcome back, fellow Jazz Bums. Today, we have Chad Kassam here. We are super excited to have a chance and opportunity to speak with him. Before we jump into it, remember to like and subscribe um, to the channel. We also have the Jazz Bums Discord, so come and hang out with us there. And then we also live stream on Fridays. So come check us out there as well. With that, I'm going to kick it over to Felipe to get us started. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Chris. Welcome back to the channel, viewers. Today we have Chad Kassin. Uh He's one of the audiophile pioneers, one of the great, needs not much introduction. He is the owner of Acoustic Sounds, owner and CEO of Acoustic Sounds, which has a label, Analog Productions. He has a uh, pressing, QRP, high-res, specializing in CDs and reel-to-reel, uh, Blue Haven Studios, and he's been a lifetime building this and and making available these titles that we love so much in probably their most superior presentations. So today we're going to explore how he built this, how he came to where we are now, and um, and talk about cool stories. So Chad Kassin, thank you so much for joining us today. Hope you had a good time. So do I. I I'm, I'm happy to be here. So are we usually like to get started is um, kind of the how you know how you got to where you're at now with. How did you get into music as a kid? Like, what were you listening to? Was your family musical? You know, how did you, you get into the blues and jazz and all that sort of stuff? Well, I'm from southwestern Louisiana, Lafayette, Louisiana, where the Cajuns are from. And uh, it's part of the culture. Music is really part of the culture. Uh, there's, well, of course, New Orleans is not far. And, of course, you know, the jazz comes from New Orleans. And then... Baton Rouge is right on the Mississippi River. It's not too far from Mississippi, and, and it's not too far from the Delta. So there's a lot of blues, you know, buddy guys from there, Lazy Lester, Slim Harpo. Um, and then in, in Lafayette, there's Zydeco and Cajun music. And then there's something called Swamp Pop, where, like, the beginnings of rock and roll were in New Orleans, too, like with Fats Domino in 49 and, and uh, Smiley Lewis. and and, um, and so the swamp pop music is, um, well, one person said it's white people singing black music well, you know, mm. and it's kind of like rock and roll and it's, it's a mixture of, so there is a lot of music, a lot of festivals, a lot of music, but no, my parents, my father was a football coach. My mother was a school teacher. They didn't really, um, you know, I never really learned an instrument, which is kind of a big regret. But uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't uh, big in my family, and I'm the only child, so it's just the environment I grew up in. And and back then, I mean, y'all probably aren't old enough to remember, but in about like 1975 or something. You know, there wasn't any computers. There wasn't any cell phone. Of course, there wasn't everybody, whether they were a jock, you know, a football player, or they were a pothead or whatever, we all had stereo. Whether you were a nerd, whether you were, you know, just an electronics nerd or, or a music person, Everybody had a stereo back then. They had a Marantz 2270, a dual turntable, or an AR turntable. They, we all had it. Everybody, almost every kid had two speakers, 
a turntable and a nice Pioneer Sansui or Marantz receiver. And, and so we listened back then and, you know, you, you, you know, you'd put on a record and you'd listen to the side and that's what we did back then. And that's pretty much what most all kids did. So, you know, that's how I got into, um, to, I started at the mid five level and then I realized there was more. So in, t- in terms of like your, your, uh, jazz interest, when did that, um, like, I guess, did you, did you see live jazz players? Is that what got you into it? Or did you, like, when you started collecting, um, were you getting into like the early, like blue note stuff or, um, how, how did you kind of discover kind of jazz vinyl and, and jazz music in general? Well, I mean, in Louisiana, the jazz music that I was accustomed to, you know, um, more traditional jazz, you know, like the uh, Preservation Jazz Hall, you know, like Louis Prima style or Louis Armstrong. And, you know, I heard that a lot. You know, you just can't not hear it. And if you're ever in New Orleans, go to the Preservation Jazz Hall and and uh, it's unbelievable. Um, I mean, I've been there many times and I'll, I'll never not go, you know, because it doesn't get old for me. but that's probably not the jazz you're talking about. Um, the way I really got into jazz was almost the same as classical. It was, you know, when I got to Kansas in 84, I started collecting records. That was the same year CDs came out. Everybody was selling their records and I was trying to buy as many as I could. And everybody was getting into CDs. But so as I tried to replace my collection, I started getting into, you know, higher quality recordings, higher quality records, higher quality stereos. And I started listening to music I really uh, would never listen to normally or I wasn't I didn't grow up with. I didn't grow up listening to classical music. I mean, you know, we I don't know if you've heard of Boudreaux and Thibodeau jokes or Cajun jokes, but, you know, we don't have Claude Boudreaux and the Opelousa Symphony Orchestra. You know what I mean? People (laughs) are listening to everything but that, you know, Mm -hmm. down there. It's hot, it's humid. We're we're outside listening. And so I didn't really grow up on classical or, you know, the jazz. uh, I mean, other than the New Orleans jazz. So as you get your stereo gets better, your taste gets better. You start listening to music that you weren't accustomed to because it just sounds so good. It's so pure. And, you know, with classical, it's all acoustic. You know, there's not a lot between the instrument and the microphone. So, you know, there's not a lot of amplification. It's, I mean, there, it's just pure instrument. It's just pure joy. It's just unbelievable. And even though I didn't know how to pronounce half of, of the, uh, you know, Dvorak and, you know, Tchaikovsky and probably still, don't pronounce a lot of it uh, totally correctly, but you know I don't need to know is if I like it or not. All I need to know is if I like it or not, and I and I liked it, and it was the sound quality that drew me in, because you know when you put on a you know a Fritz Reiner in the Chicago Symphony RCA Living Stereo, and it sounds like just pure heaven, and, and you're in you're you're in the room or they're in the room. 
it's hard not to like that. So it's the same with jazz. You know, jazz is really most of it's well recorded. It's um, both of them. It's classic and timeless sounding. And it's the same with the blues. Mm-hmm. Although I, I was way more accustomed to that, um, you know, and, you know, and I grew up, you know, like seen Zeppelin twice and, you know, I've seen, you know, all the fog hat, Allman Brothers, Zeppelin, Stones. I mean, they just toured New Orleans and, and Lafayette and Baton Rouge. We just had so many great concerts. So, you know, I grew up with the, the rock and blues first, you know, you know, with the Zeppelin. And then, then you realize they copied, you know, Howlin', Howlin' Wolf and the Killing Floor, they call the Lemon Song. And or how many more times is really how many more years, which is another Howlin' Wolf with Hubert Sumlin on it, which we've recorded Hubert Sumlin, you know what I mean? Howlin' Wolf's guitar player. He's the guy they all worshipped. I mean, he was a friend of mine that we recorded. So then you... You learn, you go, wow, you know, all of my favorite bands, the Allman Brothers, you know, doing the Sonny Boy, One Way Out, and all these songs, you peel the layers of the onion, you get down to who the real people really were, you know, the Fats Dominoes, the, you know, the Howlin' Wolves, the Muddy Waters. So, I mean, uh, I hope I explained how I got into, basically, I didn't grow up on it other than the New Orleans jazz. It was the sound quality of the classical and the jazz that just drew me in, you know, and it's timeless classical jazz and blues. Most of it's timeless. And, uh, and it's so pure and, you know, the blues is the foundation of it all. So you, it's hard not to like, and uh, and that's how that's how it all happened with jazz and classical. It wasn't something that I, uh, you know, I'm no expert on it. I just know what I like, and I know how to recommend. I feel like I know how to recommend uh, or reissue the albums that people want, you know. But I kind of go by what I like, meaning like. I like the bluesier jazz when they're doing blues. Mm-hmm. I, I don't, you know, the bebop and the, you know, the hard bop or the, the, the way avant-garde, you know, I mean, we could let somebody else do all that. You know, I want to have a record that I can recommend to people that I'm fairly certain that whether they're a beginner or a seasoned jazz person, mm-hmm. it's going to blow them away. You know, yeah. it's soulful bluesy has a lot of holes in it and you know holes in the music where it's not just full on Mm -hmm. 100 instruments going full blast no let let somebody else do all that you know I, i want my customers to know they can feel comfortable picking a jazz record we reissue they don't have to be scared that it will be you know uh too far out there yeah, so so Charlie, in that point, I think you make it. Uh, yeah, it's a great point. I mean, blues is foundation of, of everything, jazz included. Uh, and we know it's, it has like a simple melodic structure in a sense, but it carries a lot of emotion. A lot of it's very complex at at the same time. 
So what is that about blues that you dig? What really cat grabs your attention about the music? Like when you listen to a really good one that you oh, really like. Oh, yeah, what, yeah. What, I mean, what do you feel? What comes I mean, across? Like the blues hits your soul, you know, because it's coming from the soul. It's it's real. It's uh, There's a lot of emotion. Yeah, it, it's just to me, it's the realest, the most emotion. It's raw, very raw. Like, you know, the lack of, uh, I mean, this is the Skip James today on Vanguard. Mm-hmm. That was our very first, right? What's that? That was our very first, right? The Vanguard? No, no. The the very, uh, it's 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 the first one of this new blues series we're doing, oh. Bluesville. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where, uh, you know, Concord Craft, when they, you know, uh, they noticed the success of the Verb, Acoustic Sounds Verb series, and then they wanted to do the same thing with Contemporary. And uh, and I'd been working on the Contemporary. We were going to do a series. So we joined forces and did the Acoustic Sounds Contemporary series. Well, they know I love blues. And so they... We're doing the blue. It's called the Bluesville series, and we just announced it. So that, and we're cutting it. We're doing it everything here. Matt Luthens is cutting it on Doug Sachs Custom Tube Electronic System. So that's Skip James today from Vanguard, and the other one we're doing is John Lee Hooker Burning Hell from Riverside. So those are the first two that we're doing. Oh, and, um, fantastic. So, so no, I, I, I mean, which. I mean, it kind of segue perfectly to talk about the new series, this new blues series because called Bluesville. They recognize that I have a passion for this, and yeah, you just feel it. I mean, listen, you know, if if somebody wants, you know, I could pick ten albums, but if they just wanted to, you know, get Marty Waters' folk singer that we did, that Bernie Grunman cut off the original master, or get um. The Lightning Hopkins going away. Yeah. Or get this mm-hmm. Skip James today when we release it. And, you, you know, you'll probably get it. You'll you'll at least get the sound. And if mm-hmm. you don't get it right away, play it a couple times. You know yeah. what I mean? It, yes. And that will, exp- you know, that will answer anybody that, like the question you asked me, why do I like it? What does it do? Buy those albums, and if they if they don't move you, you know, mm-hmm. you better check your pulse, man. You know what I mean. You better go see a doctor. You know, you might have a hole in your soul. This um Bluesville series, this is different than the Prestige Blues Bluesville. Well, you know that's a good que- that's a good question. They own Prestige Bluesville. <laughs> okay, right. Mm-hmm. And there's about sixty Prestige Bluesville. I'm not sure, but I have about 60. I'm, I tried to collect them all. Um, maybe there's more, but I think there's about 60. At least I have 60. And they own that label. And so they own the name. And, mm-hmm. you know, we they thought about calling it OBC, you know, like you know, original jazz classics, original blues classics. But, you know, I think the name Bluesville is way better than OBC. I agree. And they own the name. Original you know, Blues Classic of, was a thing. The, uh, the, OB, the original Blues Classic was a series in the past. 
It might have been, but not many people know about it. Yeah. I mean, and I don't think they did many. Yeah. In fact, I think they might have even did some of the the blues under the OJC. I'm not quite sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, dude, I I was there when those were, we used to sell those for $10 a piece sealed. Mm -hmm. Nobody wanted. I mean, we sold them. Hey, I'll tell you what, you know, Walsh for Debbie, when we, re- it wasn't the original we had a hard time beating on Walsh for Debbie. The original was easy to beat. The OJC was pretty good. You know, yeah. so they had George Horn. Hey, for $10, they were the greatest thing since sliced bread, you know, mm-hmm. but, but I remember the OJC catalogs, you know, that, you know, this is all before the internet, man. This is, I mean, we've been doing this before eBay started. We've been doing this before Amazon started. Yeah, that I remember when they made that. That's a nice. Mm-hmm. If you notice, you look through that, the artist, almost everyone in there died before 65. Yeah. Uh, well, they highlighted like about 10 artists in that book that Mike just lifted. Every one of them had died. The only one still living, I think, is Sonny Rollins, but every other one died at 65. You know, from from yeah, they, they died from like thirty five years old on to about sixty five. Monk was it's unbelievable mm-hmm. how when you look through that book. I mean, even twenty years ago, almost everyone had already died, yeah. except Sonny yeah. Rollins, and he's still kicking. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, the OJCs were great. They thought about calling it OBC. But we uh, we're going to be doing a lot of the Bluesville, Prestige Bluesville, which a lot of them were done by Rudy Van Gelder. Mm-hmm. And since we're going to do a lot of those and we thought it was a good name, that's that's what the, and they owned it. That's what they called it. But it will contain stuff outside, like you mentioned, the Riverside title. Yeah, it won't just be Bluesville. They own VJ. They own Rounder. Right. They own Telark. They own. Um, uh, Contemporary had some blues mm-hmm. on Prestige, Riverside, Contemporary, VJ, Stacks. They own Stacks. Mm-hmm. No, we're yeah. gonna have some there fun. You go. We're gonna have oh, some yeah. fun. Cool. And uh, we, I've been going crazy. I've, I've been sending them titles. Let's do this. Let's do that. Go, whoa, whoa, Chad. Let's <laughs> just finish these first eight. Yeah. You know, let's, yeah. let's finish the first eight. And then we announced the first two. So there's going to be Albert King, Skip James, uh, John Lee Hooker, Lightning Hopkins. For this series, you're, you're, you said you, y'all are cutting them, you're, you're pressing them at QRP. Um, are they going to be 33s? Yeah. Nice. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think that, you know, I think the agreement is, if I want to do anything at 45, if I wait like six months, I can put it out at 45. So the uh, does that does that mean there might be some UHQR uh, blues in the future? You don't have to answer that. <laughs> I mean, no, I don't mind answering it. I I guess I really, honestly, it have to be really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and not not just really, really good. You know, it you gotta be able to sell enough. There's a lot of a lot of parameters, a lot of things you got it's 
got to hit a lot of. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know about UHQR. It could happen. So mm-hmm. can you talk about just like your? Um, like this seems like a special series for you, the UHQRs, right? And can you talk about like your philosophy on how you pick the titles for the UHQRs and and you know what you want the the collection of those to look like, you know, over time? That's a good question. What I want, if somebody comes over to your house and sees the UHQRs, it's got like the top albums of all time in it, you know, and I might even compromise on the sound. Like for instance, Axis Bold as Love is, is audiophile sounding. Are you experienced? There's some songs that aren't, I mean, I mean it, it's above average. There's like three mm-hmm. songs that are unbelievable recording. I mean, what, what I'm trying to say is I want Love Supreme, The Kind of Blue, The Axis Bold is Love, you know what I mean? The, the Steely Dan Asia. I want the top, top albums that were ever made like it, like the top 50 Rolling Stone albums, you know what I mean? The picks. I mean, the top 50 from when 20 years ago, now they've got, you know, a lot of, you know, uh, newer music. Let's just call it newer music. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm just the Stone Cold Classics, you know what I mean? Like the the best yeah. of the best. I think timeless, as you said, right? Yeah, you know, the timeless classics, the best jazz, the best classical. I mean, the love supreme, the kind of blue, you know, the ballads. Man, mm-hmm. that ballads, I couldn't believe it. It oh. went to, we, rele- we released it. Usually it takes like a week for something to, to hit number one seller. You know what I mean? Like, like it just has to keep itching up. Man, it just, it has to the way the computer, the algorithms or whatever, you know, it, anyway, it was like number one, like from the moment we, uh, we released it. So, um, yeah, you know, the ballads, the, the love Supreme, the, like I want it to be a titles, a list, mm-hmm. no, no B, sure. no B list. I love your regular releases. Like I, I bought all 50 of the prestiges you did and they're just amazing. I love the, the 45 stuff like this you know, Ellington masterpieces you did. That's one of the best sounding records in my collection. So I don't buy a lot of the UHQRs because I don't think I have the equipment to really, you know, get get the, the the most out of them. But I'll tell you what, we talked about that last night for about 30 minutes on our live stream and almost everyone has got me convinced that I just need to buy the, the Bella UHQR now. So, but I, I'll tell you, man, I love, I love, love, love all the regular releases you do too. They're just, you know, they sound amazing. You know, hey, uh, there's a lot of comments about the UHQR. Somebody, <laughs> oh, it's, you know, like, like I ought to be arrested for, you know, selling these things. It's so, it's like if they only knew how much work it is and how much it costs. And it's like, these aren't made for everybody. I'm mm-hmm. not making these for everybody. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. These are for somebody that wants the absolute best and and they can afford it and appreciates 
the difference. It is. And sometimes it might be just a little bit different. But I mean, nobody is boycotting Rolex or Rolls Royce. Mm-hmm. You know, I get these comments and I think, well, why are they watching these videos if they hate this so much? Like, I'm not, I don't think a Rolls Royce is worth the price, but I'm not watching Rolls Royce videos either. Exactly. <laughs> I don't think Rolex is worth the price, but I'm not watching their videos and making bad comments on how they're ripping everybody off. It's like, these are made for people that appreciate it, that understand the quality. And, you know, the people, why are they so, you know, why are they the elaborate packaging? Well, it sets it apart. You know what I mean? It, mm-hmm. it, 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 you know, you, you get an iPhone and the box it comes in is as quality as the iPhone itself. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't want to make a, I mean, the iPhones are beautiful. You know what I mean? To me. Yeah. And oh, yeah. I don't really care about phones, but it's a quality piece. And the box it comes in represents what's inside and what's inside deserves to be presented mm-hmm. nicely. Yeah. And so, you know, um, that's why we do the things we do. We want to separate it and to to make it uh, special and recognizable. You know, it's kind of like when uh, the original Mobile Fidelity, I'm, I'm talking about the original Mobile Fidelity now, mm-hmm. so no, I'm not trying to. When the original Mobile Fidelity, uh, Herb Belkin, when CDs came out, they did a couple of aluminum CDs, like in 1984. I think they did A Way Out West. They did Alan Parsons' I Robot, I think a few others. And uh, they were toning down the records and they were thinking about the next thing. So they came out with the gold CD. And so, you know, people would say, well, man, is the gold CD that much better than a, a silver CD? And that's like, well, you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But the mastering and the care that they take is different. Mm-hmm. They, they oh, yeah. spend more time, they get the master tape and they try to make it the best they can. Now, the, 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 the surface they put it on, the, the, the canvas they put it on, or the, the, you know, isn't really is as important as the mastering and the care they took. But the gold separates them from the, the regular aluminum CD. Mm-hmm. You know, you recognize gold with quality. And, and again, it could be better. The, the surface may be better i'm not sure about that part but it's more they separated themselves from the aluminum cd and they were concentrating on higher quality and they wanted to look different and then it was very successful mm-hmm. and then everybody started copying doing gold cds but normally the people the 180 gram you know usually it was just the one the 180 gram um Let's see, when RTI started doing 180 gram, I could be wrong. And uh, Don, the owner, is probably, of course, would tell you right away. But I'd guess in 1992, right around that, when they started doing 180 gram. Okay. All right. Now, what, 
you know, everybody, well, is 180 gram, you know, why does it have to be 180? I'm spending more and it's the same. Well, it's more substantial. It's different. The companies that would splurge for the 180 were the companies that did higher quality work and they wanted the best, you know, uh, the best pressing, the thick, the substantial piece of, of to put their beautifully mastered, great sounding music on. So mm -hmm. back then, it was just the audiophile companies that really did good work used 180. Mm -hmm. You could almost mm -hmm. be sure when back in 91 and 2, if you bought a 180 gram, oh, yeah. it, you were getting a really good piece of vinyl. You know, AudioQuest came out with yeah. them. I've just been yeah. getting into AudioQuest, and those are from the early 90s. And they're on, they're on um, like HQ vinyl too. Um, yeah, HQ 180. I call yeah, it yeah. 180. They mm -hmm. it's phenomenal. They sound incredible. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The mighty Sam McLean, give it up to love. The uh, Terry Evans, the Doug McLeod, good recordings done at Ocean Way. Mike Ross recording a lot of them. Uh, Ocean Way Studios pressed up. Uh, Bernie Grunman did a lot of the mastering. They're great. The Doug McLeod, the Joe Beard. Joe Beard for real. I think that one's only on CD, but even on CD, that will blow you away. Uh, yeah, Joe picked some good uh, blues guys. That, I mean, I really love Joe Beard and Doug McLeod. They're, they're two of the nicest guys in the blues. I mean, and, and I mm -hmm. recorded and, and uh, was friends with Sam McLean, who's also from Louisiana. He's a very serious guy. Uh, Mighty Sam is, was awesome. Terry Evans. Usually people that use the 180 cared about the whole quality, but then the major labels are like, well, hey, man, stick a 180 gram sticker yeah. on it. And then the next thing, you know, everybody's doing 180, yeah. which is, it's fine, mm -hmm. but it, it's not just the pressing. Uh, one way I describe it is, you know, if you're going to paint a Mona Lisa, you know, you don't want to paint it on a, Back, back of a grocery store paper bag. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You know, you want yeah. the nicest canvas you can put it on. You know, it's a masterpiece. <laughs> you want the best canvas in every step of the way. And then the last thing is you put it on, yeah, you you put it on the best canvas so you, you, you your work mm -hmm. will last and it will sound good. So and then you want it to yeah. be differentiated, you know, being, being the 180 is a little bit nicer than a 120 mm -hmm. gram. So, and then you can even go up to like uh, Hobson at Classic Records, he's 200. 200. Yeah, we, um, we, the 200 uh, is really nice. It's really substantial, uh, but it's hard to press, man. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's hard. To press, uh, I, ha I have an old um, new jazz title. I think it's an Art Farmer, and I I took it out and it, it just felt heavy in my hand. So I went to a scale just to just because I was curious. I think it was like two hundred eight grams. So sometimes those old pressings um, used you know heavy heavy vinyl. So so Chad, uh, now along those lines between what uh, what you're saying now. I mean, your passion, your dedication, your criteria is something that really comes across. I mean, I have a lot of your pros. I have a bunch of UHQRs. Uh, they are, you know, top notch, top shelf right there. 
Uh, but now at this point, you're a full established label. You have the resources, the freedom to do everything like this. Were you able to work like that since the beginning? I mean, when you kind of let's start analog productions now, putting out titles, were you able to always work at this level, or you or you or you had to build it up slowly? How, how was the very beginning of the label in that regard? Well, I mean, I I don't want to sound like an old grandpa, but I'm probably going to sound like an old grandpa that walked to school uphill with no shoes uphill both ways you know um but a lot of the people now don't know what it was like you know and there's a lot of dealers that just started you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. you know there was some rough times there mm-hmm. was some rough times not many people were around there. Fremer was. Uh, RTI was. You know, Kevin Gray was. Joe Harley was. I mean, Mike Hobson was. But, you know, it was tough. And just recently, I started really reflecting on what, what it was like. Because um, I'm going to be doing a video on our channel uh, pretty soon that people are going to want to watch because I meet up with an old Mobile Fidelity dealer, somebody I met in 84. And uh, I bought his collection. We talk about the good old days in 1984. Me and this person had an ad in the back in like 1987 in Stereophile. That's how you had to advertise back then. Mm -hmm. Again, I started before eBay, Amazon, YouTube, way before Discogs, you know, way, you know, Amazon, YouTube, eBay, all of that before the internet. I mean, maybe that, you know, two nerds had a, you know, an internet going somewhere, but in 1986, 87, you know, you had to put a little bitty ad in the back of stereophile or audio. You had to pay per word. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. you you had to pay like either one or five dollars a word. So, I mean, you had to think, do I really need that word in there? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, I was working for minimum wage. I mean, I moved to Kansas working at, you know, I started a job as a cook. Nobody gave me an idea. Nobody loaned me no money. That's fine. That's the best thing. That so, it, it dude, it, it's so much easier for somebody to start now. I mean, in, in a way, I'm happy. I mean, I'm happy because it's easier for us to communicate to our customer too. Yeah. I, I mean, if somebody can start like this right now, to just get a YouTube channel and flip through some records. I mean, they're in business, like mm-hmm. instantly. I yep. used to have to wait for the letters, you know, in the money orders. Somebody would write me a letter, and, hey, man, I want your catalog. I'd send them a catalog, and they'd be handwritten or typed. I'd have to go make Xerox copies, <clears throat> typed Xerox copies, putting 
nickels and quarters in the Xerox machine at the grocery store, breaking the Xerox machine over and over again, stapling them hand by hand, mailing them to, and then waiting for them to mail the money back and the order back. Mm-hmm. You know, back then it was hard to get an 800 number. Back then it was hard to get them to let you use, to have a credit card. You know, I'm talking back when if you bought a fax machine was like $1,800. And I'm talking the thermal fax, not even a flat paper fax. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. But, but if you did have a fax, you were shitting in tall cotton. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, you were. When did you start? I mean, so you, you moved there in 84 and you started buying records. When did you start selling stuff? Did you start selling locally at first and then? Yeah, uh, Connor, yeah, 84, 85. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 84, 85, 86. Uh, but I mean, by 86, I had, you know, called it Acoustic Sounds and had ads okay. going. Okay. So, but this is all in the time CDs were just coming out. Mm-hmm. So, um, how did, how did you how did you like know that this would be a good business? Was it something you were just passionate about and you just you wanted to to do it, or did you see like an opportunity there as well? I love that question because that question is an important question. It, I mean, it's I did. Nobody told me that you could do what you love for a living. I don't remember anybody telling me. Maybe somebody did. Now, I tell people that all the time, that you can actually do do what you love for a living and you'll never work another day in your life. Mm-hmm. I didn't even realize that I could do what I love for a living. It just happened. And you asked me, did I know that this day was coming? Did I know that vinyl would... I was going against... The, the, the grain against you know swimming against the stream or, or you know all those saying everybody was running away from vinyl. I saw it. they can't lie. You know what I'm saying? I know who you know all these people. Oh, I was vinyl the whole way. Yeah, yeah, right, pal. You're the first son of a gun that I saw running. <laughs> but we, I was just collecting records, man. Buy one, sell one, buy two, sell one, buy, sell, trade as a hobby. Mm-hmm. Now, I the important thing is I knew LPs would never die. I knew they would never die. I never knew that this would happen. Mm-hmm. No, not in my wildest dreams. But I spent every hour of every day and every penny I had like I knew this day was coming. You know, I spent every hour, every day, every minute, every dollar, like I knew, just reinvesting, like I knew this was coming. But I didn't know it was coming. I mean, even in in 2010, when I bought, when I started the pressing plant, I mean, I just needed records. Mm -hmm. You know, and and we love Don at RTI and, and RTI, and but, you know, the major labels started coming in, and we were... You know, we were getting the shit into the stick. You know what I mean? And, you know, our little one, onesie, twosie, thousand orders. It's like, hey, boy, we get to you. You know, like, we got 
some other shit to press, you know? And right, so right. <laughs> I needed to get my own stuff done. But in 2010, so, I mean, I was investing and spending lots and lots of money. This is way before. So I think the question was, did I see this coming? Did I do it because I knew this was coming, you know, to earn money? No, I've just been collecting records as a hobby. Uh, one natural step leads to another. I knew vinyl would never die, and I always trusted my ears, but I never saw it doing this happening. I never, in my wildest dreams, and and anybody, the Fremer, I don't think could say this. I don't think Don at RTI could say I don't think any of us saw Listen, this is what I say. I knew records would never die, but I never thought that I would see CDs die the way they did. Interesting. Is it, isn't your handle on Instagram for Acoustic Sounds, isn't it like Vinyl Lives? It could be. I think it's yeah. <laughs> it, 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 that or maybe the YouTube channel, I forget. No, That's I mean, I have some, it's one of the, we have t-shirts called it Vinyl Lives, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. We, I, we, I think that it was is. a long time ago. Another thing uh, one of my employees coined was acoustic sound, sa- saving the world from bad sound. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's yeah. basically what we're trying to do is, you know, uh, and so, but, uh, you know, everything's been a natural step. You know, we started just selling mobile fidelity records and then, uh, then we started our own reissue label. Then me and Don at RTI, partnered up on acoustic mastering for 14 years where we had Stan Ricker work for like the first four years. And then Kevin Gray worked the next 10. So we, uh, it was acoustic mastering, which was acoustic sounds and record technology, acoustic mm-hmm. mastering. Yeah. Um, and then, um, so, you know, it was always the next natural step to get closer right. to the of the quality you know so it was selling used records selling new records reissuing records getting your own mastering getting your own pressing getting your own recording studio doing your own recordings mm-hmm. you know, getting your own plating facility getting your own printing press now we do everything in-house the only mm-hmm. thing we don't do is press the album jackets now, we have a printing press that can do that. But you, if you really want to get into that business, you have to have a dedicated printing press that just mm-hmm. runs jackets. Or you can't switch from jackets to catalog to catalog and jackets. And It's a lot of setup, probably, right? Is it, just a lot of, is it just a lot of setup and tear down to change those things? We could make jackets right mm-hmm. here in Salina. We could do everything from the microphone. We could do it all here. But... We we stopped at the jackets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can do everything else in house. That way, you can control the time. You can control the the, the quality. You know, uh, you know how it all works. Mm-hmm. Chad, one thing we we, we 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 talked about before starting. You're mentioning now all this research is quote unquote of the vinyl. I mean. Not research because it never went away, right? Just kind of catching up uh, back again. 
And it recently had a release with another person that was really very important for Vinyl to stick around, to, to build plants. And, you know, uh, how did you get to work with Jack White and do this uh, White Stripes release? Well, we're starting to get called by some pretty major people wanting us to, to, to do their records. Mm -hmm. They contacted us. People recognize what we, we do. Mm -hmm. They want their music to sound the best it can sound. They opened up a pressing plant and they invited us to go, uh, what was it? 2017, something like that. I mean, we knew them from that, but uh, I don't think that had anything to do with uh, them wanting. I mean, you know, um, I, th I think they want, you know, the White Stripes Elephant to be sitting next to Are You Experienced and Axis mm -hmm. Bold as Love and Aqualung and Bob Marley Exodus, and Kind of Blue. Mm -hmm. They want to see their record sitting right next to that, done in the same quality, and highlighted and recognized as an all-time classic. Yeah, I thought, that was a cool, I thought that was a really cool release. When, it, when, you know, when that was announced, I was like, wow, this is, this yeah. is interesting. Chad's doing something a little bit out of his wheelhouse. But I mean, you, so you, you, you recognize that album as a classic that deserves to be with those other I titles. mean, it's got blues in, you know, it's got elements of the blues in it. I mean, he, I know the guy loves blues. Um, and, and it, yeah, it's a little bit different, but it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a good album. You know what I mean? It's a good album mm -hmm. and it has a good sound quality. It's, it's, it's a raw, it sounds good in a different way, you know, than, than mm -hmm. most of the, uh, recordings we do. Uh, it was fun, and uh, you know I'm trying to learn more about the new music, and but you know I I really there's not a whole mm -hmm. lot of new. You know I like I love Amos Lee, you know there's some there's some good stuff out there, some good artists out there, and if you mm -hmm. see them live, it's just classic music. But yeah, you know a lot of the new music is is compressed, you know. Uh, whether it was done in the recording and or the mastering, if it don't sound good, it's hard for me to like. Yeah. I mean, even mm -hmm. if I go to a concert and it's just too loud and distorted, it's hard to enjoy it. You yeah, know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, 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 I hate when you go to a show like that and you, you know, you like, especially with some band that you really love and you've listened to their records you know, 500 times and then you go see them and you can't understand the words they're singing because the microphone's distorted and just, you know, not, not high quality presentation. You know what I mean? Well, it happens the other way for a lot of modern artists where their recordings are compressed mm -hmm. and they don't sound that good. And when you go see them live, it's a whole nother deal, you know? And, yeah. and, and then you go, wow, I like that band, you know? Mm -hmm. Man, I wish I could record them in our church studio. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and but a lot of artists don't don't seem to get it or understand that there could be uh, you know a higher quality. You know that that they could record a little bit more pure and 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple of albums that we wanted to do in the Atlantic series. I mean, records, and I know I would sell. They would sell because it's such a famous person. But uh, the only master they'll give us is a well. It was recorded digitally, mm-hmm. which of course we would be upfront with, and but it also has some comp- comp- It's compressed, and so I, it, I, it looks like we'd just be making a big twelve-inch. CD, mm-hmm. you know, it, it would be better than the CD, but it's still, I know it could be better if we would get the flat master. Right. Mm-hmm. They don't want, they, they want us to use their mastered version. Hmm. So there's a lot of things. See, there's a lot of things people don't know. We pass yeah. on. I, I, have a, I have a couple of uh, um, questions uh, about some of the earlier stuff that you've done. Um, one thing is, I think one of the earlier jazz titles that you that Acoustic uh, Analog Productions put out was an Indian Navigation Chico Freeman Spirit Sensitive. Um, Indian Navigation is generally a pretty like avant-garde jazz uh, label. That title in particular is, I think there's more ballads on that one. Um, I don't have a copy of it. It does come up, your copy does come up online for like $150 from time to time. That's <laughs> So I guess, how did you um, find that record, select that record, know the sound quality of that record was good? Um, just because it is kind of a, a smaller label. While you're going to school, I'm listening to records. While you're sleeping, I'm listening to records. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I all I do is talk music and records from the time I get up to the time I go to bed. Now that particular record, I think that was on uh, Fred Kaplan's top forty jazz albums. Okay. Now you know this is y'all might have been still still in diapers when this was going on, mm-hmm. but you know that's how we learned about things. You know, reading magazines. And uh, Fred Kaplan is, knows his jazz pretty good. And I think that was on his list. Or maybe it was just reviewed in the absolute sound. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, back when I started, and that's another way I learned about classical and about a lot of music I would have never listened to was if it was recommended by Harry Pearson in the absolute sound. Uh, you know, that's where I learned... And, you know, it's, uh, so if you, you know, I know a lot of these channels want to have some inside information and get like a little scoop. Well, here's your scoop, man. Mm. We just, we just talked to Chico the other day (laughs) and we're going to repress it. What? (laughs) Are you serious? Yeah. I'm sorry. So hold, hold on to your money. Yeah. Hold on to your money. Oh, oh I'm totally, you know, I'm totally, I'm totally, even the original, I think it's like a hundred dollar record. Um, it's pretty, pretty pricey record. So that's fantastic. That has well, to be I, the most random awesome. occurrence that's ever happened on YouTube. But you would ask I have another one. <laughs> what, what did Chris say? What did you say? They just has to like to be the most random coincidence that's ever happened on YouTube. That Mike has <laughs> record. And you're well, I know. I mean, when he, when he, when he, when he when first came out of his mouth, I'm like, all right, do I tell them or not? And I thought, you know what? <laughs> These guys, you know, the two things is that collection I just bought 
that I'm working on, and we're doing a whole video because this guy was there from the beginning. Wow. Uh, he's uh, he's in bad health right now, and so we just kind of reminisced on how it was, and y'all made me think of that. So there's a little thing to look forward to soon, and then the Chico Freeman. Uh, Chico, uh, one time there was a hi-fi show in New York, and one of my big dog customers had a really nice brownstone. And he goes, Chad, so I know y'all having the hi-fi show. I said, I'm going to have a party. I want you to invite all the, like, Luke Manley and some musicians and all the top people in the hi-fi to this party we're going to have. It's going to be for you, but for your friends that you picked. And we, and Chico came, and he had a big grand piano in there, and Chico played the piano. Oh, wow. So um, nice. we made friends with him from way back then. Uh, we just thought it was a good sound and recording. And I mean, uh, and so we're going to go back and reissue a few of our reissues from way back when. Nice. And that's one mm -hmm. of them. And I got him on the phone. He lives maybe sweet Switzerland or Sweden, um, somewhere in Europe. But he goes back and forth. And uh, usually stereo, not stereo, Expona lets me help them with uh, picking their the, the music. Hmm. Uh, the year that COVID happened, we were going to have Ricky Lee Jones play. Oh, and wow. then COVID happened. Nice. And that was so disappointing. Oh, but uh, I told them about it and they thought about it and they go, no, nah, we picked somebody else, somebody I never heard of. And I'm like, well. They're so great at Expona. We work so well together. I'm like, you know, mm -hmm. I, I didn't uh, make a big deal of it. But uh, but he was ready to come. That's wow. awesome. So I've been talking to him. He's great. That's yeah. awesome. Great album, Spirit Sensitive. Uh, yeah. Oh. Bob Cummings was on the label. And then when he died, he gave all the artists their masters back. Okay. What I mean, instead oh, of keeping it yeah. and owning it and passing the company down, yeah, he just gave all the musicians their master. Chico has his master, but I have the part from when Doug Sachs cut it, so it's like, um, right. Yeah, we're gonna make the jacket a little nicer, oh, and um, <laughs> maybe a gatefold. It won't be long. Very I have nice. one. I have one more analog productions jazz title question for you. Yeah. So I I have an OG of this Ahmed Jamal, and I've been uh, waiting for you. I, I'm a, I'm assuming you'll repress this. And you put this out on uh, analog productions. The question I have for you is: This came out in mono and stereo. This is the mono copy. Um, the analog productions version is mono, and I was just wondering. What was the decision-making process behind selecting the mono versus the stereo? Was it just tape availability or tape quality, or um, did you just prefer the mono? I'm just curious to know about that. There's no stereo tape. Oh, okay. That was a reprocessed stereo. Oh, okay. I'm glad you showed that record, though, Mike. That... That version of that Ahmad Jamal is insane that you put out, man. That's when I'm, I listen to that record all the time. I just love it. Well, we repressed it, and we're just waiting for the PO to go through. There's some kind of uh, glitch in, in 
in the system at the label. Okay. Did y'all get that Helen Merrill we did? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just oh, listened yeah. to so I I just got um this. Where is it? I found an uh, original pressing of the Sarah Vaughn. Oh, so okay. I listened wow. to this and then I put on your 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 Helen Merrill to compare it. And there's a significant difference. <laughs> I mean, I know they're obviously different sessions and different musicians, but in terms of like the MRC recording sound, very, very different. I mean, like Nina Simone's first album is just unbelievable. Helen Merrill's first album is just unbelievable. Yeah. I, yeah. To me, the vocal albums that you put out as adding those series, especially the verb ones, the verb 45s, that thing's like heavenly. The, the, the way the voices come across in those records. Yeah, we just repressed the We Get Requests. That's like out of all the 25 verb series we did, the Gets Gilberto and the We Get Request, they're like evergreen. They're like yeah. kind of blue. I mean, they just... Uh, we get requests was actually a three track recording, mm. and we uh, got the three track. So it's it's just the sound quality is uh, unbelievable. You know that gets that, that gets Gilberto forty five you put out is probably the best sounding record yes. in my entire collection. It's insane. Yeah, yeah, it's so good. I just love it. So I mean, basically, it'll be George Marino against Bernie Grunman, two of the yeah. best, two of right. the best. You know. Um, yeah, Chad, it's interesting. I mean, I'm Brazilian. That record is like my life. I mean, there's the sounds. I, I know, I feel that. And I've, I have originals. The originals are horrible. They sound terrible. Mono, stereo, doesn't matter. Your, 30, your 33 was already. But when I got the 45, it just transmits not only the precision of the recording, but the feeling of that music. I, I felt back home, you know. I think that that, that was the most important hey. I mean that 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 says a lot, man. If it you know, if somebody from Brazil, if it moves you and it, you feel like it represents, uh, yeah, I, I you know, I mean, I love that album and I love some some of the bossa nova, but man, it seemed like they kind of went overboard in the next ten years on it. You know what I'm yes. saying? It's like, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I mean, I like it, but man. How many bossa nova? Like every jazz person, all right, that should sell it, man. No, there's no <laughs> doubt, man. That definitely happened. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, it was almost like disco, right? Everybody was trying to do the same. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I mean the I Quebec is really good. The oh uh, yeah, mm -hmm. soul samba. There, there's it made they made some good records from it, but um, you know, with anything, anybody trying to ride the the coattails of success just for the you know to make some money. Well, you can tell the difference in those records. At least I think, you know, you listen to some of those Bossa records, like the ones you're talking about. And then you listen to some others and you, and the, the emotion and the, the emotional content you get from some of those records is totally different than some of the other mm -hmm. ones. So you, to me, I kind of separate them with, okay, this made me feel a certain way. These other ones felt like it was a record company pressuring a jazz artist into making a Bossa Nova record. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I mean, um, and you know what? There's nothing wrong too if there's not a, a a rule saying that they they can't they can still make a good record sometimes when they're trying to mm -hmm. do it commercially, but 
you know, again, yeah, a lot of them are rushed. A lot of them maybe, you know, they, you know, it's easier for somebody to, to feel it and to grow up with it mm-hmm. and to make an authentic one than it is yeah. for somebody that, you know, some, you know, white jazz artist from Canada. No, I'm just I'm trying <laughs> to be funny, but, uh, yeah. you know, you know, it, it's probably easier. I mean, he had people from there on that particular record. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You know, and it, so, yeah, if you go to Rio, catch the vibe, that, that's it. You know, say that again. If you go to Rio, actually feel the vibe, you understand it. If you ever go to, to Rio de Janeiro, for example, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, those are our best to sell in verbs. The Jazz, the jazz Samba is also sells good. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, you did a um, Jolly Hooker. Yeah. Uh, well, that's actually the impulse that serves you right to suffer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. So I see you got some good records, uh, Mike. That that yeah. I was trying to check which one's the show. Place, I almost, Oliver is yeah. just unbelievable. One yeah. of the best sounding jazz things, and then the, the Royal Ballet is one of the best sounding. And then that mm-hmm. that uh, that Duke Ellington's masterpiece. The beautiful thing about cutting out on forty five is each side had its own song. Yep. So you just can't get better than that. Mm-hmm. What's funny is that was recorded in nineteen fifty, and there's not a better sounding jazz record that happened from then till now. Mm-hmm. So with all the technology, that was recorded on the first tape machine. You know, the Americans found the tape machine. And Jack Mullins found the tape machine in Germany when we took over Germany in 1944 or 45 is when Jack Mullins found uh, a tape machine in Germany. He unassembled it and he sent it back to America. Then they started Ampex and then uh, Ben Crosby invested in Ampex, Ampex. And by 1946 or something, they had a tape machine, the Ampex, uh, I think it was a 201 or the 200 or the 201. And then in 1948, when Columbia came out with the first long playing record, in 1949 is when Columbia Studio opened. Mm. And in 1950, that was recorded. So between like 45 and, and, and five years, they found that how to make an analog tape machine brought it to America. Then the long play album came. Then the Columbia studio long play album in 48 Columbia studio 49 that record in 1950. And to believe, to understand that there hadn't been anything to surpass that record in the last 74 years with all the technology, it's just a mind blow blowing. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, agreed. I love it. I love that record. Yeah. I love that record. It's one of my favorites. We sold more of that record than we sold T for the Tillman. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) Um, Because people understand the sound quality. It's just, it's so, it's unbelievable. So, so we've been now going for over an hour. Um, I could definitely do another hour here. Um, we would love to have you back at some point, maybe you know later down the road when 
um, you know, you have some new announcements or something, but, uh, but this has been really fun. Um, we cannot thank you enough for coming and chatting with us. Um, uh, Felipe, Chris, any, uh, final thoughts? Yeah, I would just say, I mean, I would echo that. Uh, thank you for coming. Um, we're obviously fans of your work and, and we buy a lot of your records. So, um, we'd love to have you, have you come again for sure. Pleasure. Thanks for, you know, being so, so kind and nice and replying. I, I had to be full analog to invite you. So I hope the letter worked. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That was interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah that was funny. Uh, well, it works. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. uh, you know, I, ha you know what I do is I have my little, we send thank you cards. Uh, you know, I, I remember getting a thank you card one time from somebody like in about 88. And I, I just blew me away. I mean, this is, you know, long time ago, but I, I still recognize, you know, I mean, that's probably even before emails, you know, but it's still, it, it, I'll never forget getting that thank you card. So when you're talking about the analog and writing the letter, um, we still try to, to do a thank you card every now and then. I mean, the, the analog, it just is so much, you know, there's more meaning and thought mm -hmm. to it. Um, but yeah, listen, I, I, let's, you know, I know I probably, sorry if I, you know, sometimes I just, you know, you ask me a question and it reminds me of a lot of things and, and, uh, you know, this, this whole new YouTube thing is, it's the greatest thing. You know, it's amazing how, how quick we can get the information out to people. You know, I, my whole goal is to show y'all behind the curtains, to let you see what y'all haven't seen before. Like, because the, the reason why I know is because that's what I wanted to see. I wanted to hang out with Doug Saxon. I wanted to see how the sausage was made. You know, and now... The consumer, it's easy to show the consumer, you know, back, you know, when, when in, in 2010, when I bought, started the pressing plant, nobody knew what an SMT was, what an Alpha Tulex was, you know, nobody really got to see inside of a pressing plant. And I knew people would like to see that because that's what I like to see. And so we tried to educate people what an SMT was, Southern Machine and Tool what an alpha tulex was what a fine belt manual press was because it's the history it's important and we we like showing that and with youtube you can show and you can bring people behind the scenes but you know the one thing that and i love that and i know the consumer loves it and, and 99 percent of the consumers are really cool you know but it seems like you know that the more we show the more entitled it seems like some people are like, well, I want to ask Bernie. It's like, dude, <laughs> Bernie didn't do this that long ago. You know what I mean? Like, he's busy cutting, you know, like, mm -hmm. out, like Thriller and Asia, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's cool that they're coming on and they're being recognized for who they are. 
Mm-hmm. So it's really cool to show the consumer, but it it really kind of seems though that the more we do it, and the more I don't sometimes I don't know if the people listen. Most people do appreciate. It's only, yeah. but we made it so accept accessible that they don't know what it was like back when you had to get the the album cover and read where it was cut and read what studio and there wasn't there wasn't discogs mm-hmm. there wasn't youtube um and so sometimes i you know it's funny you know i could you could get a thousand great reviews and one yeah. criticism yeah. will just drive mm-hmm. yeah me crazy you know because it's funny it mike's the exact same way with our youtube channel when any some anyone says anything bad of our youtube channel he freaks out so you just gonna encourage it. people to say bad things now yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well you know I, you know i can learn from the comments um mm-hmm. even the, the criticisms can be learned from mm-hmm. it's just that sometimes i think people don't know what it was like and although they appreciate us all the behind the scenes stuff and we're going to continue to do it because i know what they want to see it's because they want to see what they can't see and they want to see what i get to see because that's what i wanted to see you know Mm -hmm. i know it we're going to show it just sometimes it feels like the more the more you show, the more uh, they expect, or they're like, "Well, I want to talk to Bernie." And what, what master did, you know? And it's like a little bit frustrating. But on the other hand, it's such a great thing with the YouTube and the YouTube channels, and and it's the YouTube channels that are like fun, and it's about passion, and it's a hobby, you know was so weird you know we released the atlantic 75 series and we thought we were going to be able to release that information like about eight months before we did and so i said hey man i got some big news coming and then what's the big news we which cows are good and it's like man i just couldn't you know a lot of this stuff it's not just me yeah the, the deal I would blow the deal if I if I announced it. Mm-hmm. It's their label. They're going to announce. They want me to announce when they say I can announce it. Well, that's why, you know, one thing that we notice a change in is now when you announce like a new UHQR, it's pretty much ready. It seems like it's ready to go within a month. Like you don't even allow for that like eight month speculation. Window. Yeah, because we're tired of, you know, where's it coming out? Where's it coming out? Where's it coming out? Where's it coming out? Where's it? I mean, we should be happy that people are excited, but it's a little frustrating. So it's like, you know what? We're not going to announce the Van Halen's five years before, right? three years before. You know what I mean? We're going to wait because it's hard to take all that. You know, when is it coming? When is it coming? So it's like, boom, here it is. We mentioned it. And then when we could announce it, we did. And then, you know, and then there's people, oh, 
Oh, 75 Atlantics. Oh, you can buy those for $5 at any used record store. Well, I don't know if they've been in any used record store lately. Chances are it ain't going to be $5, and chances are it ain't going to be mint. And and those records, don't compare our records to those. These are 45 RPMs mastered by the best mastering engineers that ever lived, the highest quality jacket, the best quality pressings. They're not the $5 record that you find at any record store. It's a whole nother animal. And Mm -hmm. to hear these people yawn, you know, when you're spending millions working years, you know, like, oh, you know, you can get those anywhere. And, you know, I'm going to buy one, Tyler, and that, that, that news, it's like, I don't know, man. That was some pretty big news, I thought. And uh, and, and then the way they're selling and the way the consumers are reacting, it's big news. But it was just funny to see some people, you know, doing YouTube like it was it wasn't, that, you know, if if the people only knew how hard this was, how long this took, you know, how much investment it is. Uh, How, that's a, that's a question I had. How long does a deal like that take to come to fruition? Like, how long does it take for a? a I mean, it's a big thing. Seventy-five releases. Like, how long does that take? I mean, dude, that was a long time. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, it was kind of a deal. When I first said that there's something big coming around the corner, that it was pretty much done. A done deal at that time. So it was a year or so and then 75 titles mm-hmm. that's a big deal takes a long time some titles take forever some titles i asked for 15 20 years ago and the timing just wasn't right you know timing is everything and it all takes so much longer than anybody would realize i mean i think a lot of the people that make these comments if they only knew how hard all this was or how long it took, mm-hmm. I can't just snap my fingers and, and have 5,000 double ballots jump off the press. You know what I mean? It's a double album. That's 10,000 records. Yeah. All I can say is there's so much more that I can't talk about that the deal's yeah. pretty much in the works. Well, we we broke news here, I think, on this uh, Bluesville uh, series. At least we we got into it a little bit more yeah. with some of the titles. You also mentioned the Chico Freeman and the Ahmed Jamal will be repressed, which I'm looking forward to. Um, so the Ahmed good- Jamal is pressed. It's just that I, oh, I got to get the PO. Okay, I love that owl, man. Uh, it's so good. Yeah, it's really yeah, good. It's it's, a, it's 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 a good album. Um, and, uh, but yeah, uh, so for everyone watching, thank you um, for hanging in there. Leave a comment in the description. Please um, uh, let us know what you thought about this. Um, uh, and yeah, I think this was really fun. And Chad, uh, you are welcome back anytime. This is an open door. I just want to, again, say getting this level of insight and just kind of hearing your story, hearing you talk about you know the Atlantic series and other things um, allows us to have a little bit more insight into your process. and. 
understand kind of um, you know the level of effort that these types of projects take. So I think you know me personally, I'm super grateful that you were able to share that. So thank you so much. Yeah, no, no problem, man. This is what I do. I, I, I love to share, passionate about it. Love to share the information. You know, uh, one more thing I'll mention uh, is uh, Dylan just came from Noble Records. He wanted to see his records being mastered and pressed. And I'm like, dude, come on. You know, I said, you come over here. I can show you, uh, show you all of it. You'll, you know, you'll get about 20 years of knowledge. What took me 20 years to learn just by seeing it, you know, you can. And so he came and he hung out with Matt Luthens and, you know, we did some test cuts and uh, we A-B'd his record against the, he brought the, the rare $3,000 original and we scanned it for him so we can help him with the artwork. And then we A-B'd it, listened to back and forth and he heard the differences we hung out at the mastering and went through some rare records. And uh, he's one of the good guys, I think, in the uh, Noble. Uh, he really feels, uh, when you watch his channel, he's got a great channel, uh, Noble Records. Uh, very sincere, passionate. We hung out. I showed him everything. So uh, he's got a great channel that I uh, recommend people subscribe to. and. And we we did some videos that are going to come out very soon that are uh, pretty cool. Awesome. Uh, where we gave them the the uh, tour. So there you go, man. There's a couple things there for you. We appreciate you, man. Appreciate it, Chad. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was amazing. See you later, guys. All right, y'all. Keep jazz alive and keep albums alive, man. We appreciate it. Thank you, Chad. Thank All right, you. We'll see you.